Welcome to the Soup is On podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Cook, Superintendent of Ben Lapine Schools. On the Soup is On podcast, we talk about all things public education, specifically as they relate to our Ben Lapine Schools and the greater community here in Central Oregon. April is School Library Month, and today we're very excited to celebrate our outstanding school libraries by talking to two of our very dynamic teacher librarians, Summit High School's Ayla Overcash. Ayla, nice to see you. Thank you. And Mountain View High School's Donna Lane. Donna, very nice to have you as well. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. As you all know, we are lucky here in Ben Lapine Schools to have some absolutely amazing librarians working in our schools with six teacher librarians on staff and media managers or library technicians serving each of our other schools. First off, I'd love to hear how you came to be librarians. You both took kind of an interesting path to the profession, starting as English teachers and then moving on to become teacher librarians. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your role. So yeah, I was an English teacher and I love teaching English and I sometimes still miss it a little bit, but I had a daughter and she was about four years old and I walked into her bedroom one night and said it's dinner time and she looked up at me and she had a little pile of papers in front of her and was scribbling on them and said mom I'm busy I'm grading papers and at that point I realized I was gonna scar her for life if I didn't find something else to do (laughs) so that year Summit had just gotten a teacher librarian and she had said she wasn't coming back for a second year and so I applied for the job and it was such a great shift like I said I miss teaching English sometimes still and I did a lot back then but it's really wonderful to work with the kids still and be involved but without that without as big a commitment outside of school. So my uh, journey here was a little more serendipitous. I was an English teacher in the district for 27 years and the last 10 years at Mountain View and teaching is demanding in general but being a high school English teacher is particularly demanding and I was looking for um, something else to do and my dear friend Ayla just said you need to try to be a librarian. I think you would be outstanding and um, took a couple of friends to convince me but I went back got my certification and by just a bunch of unexpected events the librarian position at Mountain View became open and I was able to slide into that position and one of the things I love about it is it's where I was teaching for the last 10 years so it's really nice to be around the staff and the students and and I think I have the best job on campus. So you both have expertise as teachers that you brought into the library itself has that made you better in your craft? Does it influence the way you do things or does it have a similar impact at all? I think it has influenced it a lot. I was at Summit before I became the librarian, so I had credibility already. So when I came into the library and said, hey, I can help you with research in your class. I can jump in and do that part for you. You don't have to worry about that they took me seriously because they knew I had done it and I was willing to take that part from them. And so I think that helped a lot. And I think it also helps because I know with you too, Donna, a lot of times classes come in, we don't have a relationship with those kids yet, but because we were in the classroom for as long as we were, we know how to manage students. We know how to get them engaged. That maybe somebody who never was really in a classroom might have to take time to get to that point. I think one of the best things I have going for me is I never ever forget what it's like to be a classroom teacher and my staff appreciates that. If they have a problem it's not wait an hour, no they've got 30 kids in front and the projector's not working or they need this or they need that. And In addition to the library role we also do a lot of um, tech support, tech troubleshooting because we have been in the classroom and we understand how all those components work and how they need to be working all of the time. 
So cool. It's school library month. Uh, we're recording this in April. Donna, when did you first realize you were a book lover? I don't remember not being a book lover. I was very fortunate to always be surrounded by books. And I think one of my favorite books growing up was Are You My Mother by P.D. Eastman. And I think I was so traumatized when the little bird woke up and couldn't find his mom in the nest. Um, and that book just stuck with me. And I still have it to this day. I've read it to my son. And um, that's just a, a favorite that I really, really enjoyed as a child. Ayla, how about you? When did you realize it? Um, same thing. I don't remember a time when I didn't love books. My parents were both very bookish people. So I, the minute I learned to read, which was early, I just was reading everything I could get my hands on. And what was influential to me is that my mom would read to us at night. And I remember her reading Little House on the Prairie. Probably, yes. Actually, probably Little House <laughs> in the Big Woods. And it was the middle of summer and it was hot in Oregon. And we were all bundling up because it was the snowstorm and it was so cold and that just really had a huge impact on me. So yeah, I've been a reader since a very young age, even before I could read. All right, so you both are known throughout the district for having great relationships with kids, great connections uh, with students. Ayla, I think you mentioned it earlier about making sure you can get them engaged when they come in. Talk just a little bit about what are the moves you make as a teacher librarian to get students engaged when, they're, when they come into the library as a class? What does that look like? What would somebody expect to see? I guess I approach everything in kind of a jokey way. Students, especially freshmen, think I'm really mean and scary. And I, I guess I do that on purpose. <laughs> By the time they're seniors, are like, oh, psh, don't take her seriously. Because I'm not serious a lot of the time. And so I think the kids, once they figure that out, that draws them in. And then I do a lot of cold calling on kids too, just so that they know they have to pay attention. They know they have to be, and not in ways that they're, you know, be embarrassed or something, but just like, hey, you sitting there at that table, tell me about what you think of reading. Well, I hate reading and so I don't want to do it. Okay, great. Thank you for sharing that. And just trying to pull them in as much as possible just by letting them know they can't just sit there and zone out. And that has been pretty successful. I mean, some of them work very hard to just sit there and zone out, but I work very hard against that too. So yeah, one of my favorite ways to engage students is with reader's advisory. Mm -hmm. Favorite thing to do. So a student will come in and I always ask them a series of questions. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you like to read? If you're a one, I'm going to give you a very different book than if you tell me you're a 10. And I always say to them, if you don't like to read, I still like you. I'm going to help you find a book. That's my job. So what I do is I ask them some questions. Do you have some favorite movies? What do you do in your spare time? What's a subject you like in school? What's a book that you didn't hate growing up? And and then I'll go and I tend to pull three to four books. I don't want to overwhelm them. And I just very nonchalantly say, here's what I think you might like. Read the book jacket, spend a couple of minutes, let me know if I have a match. If we don't have a match, I don't care. I've got 10,000 books here. I'm going to find some more that you like. And I think they're always surprised that someone wants to take a few minutes to get to know them and their interests. And um, I love it then when they come back and they say, I really, really enjoyed that book. That's the, the best That's thing the that best. can happen. Yeah. So do you have some go-to books that you use kind of as a, yes. as a good old standby for, I'm going to connect with this kid and I know the book that gets, or is it based upon the kid's personality? Both. Both. There are some books that just, like I had a kid, Chad, years ago, who came in as a freshman and had to pick a book and just really reluctant. So I gave him Pete Hotman's book, Rash, <laughs> which is 
futuristic and the United States has been turned into the United Safer States of America because Hotman has taken this idea of everything being safe and just projected. And so I gave this book to Chad, who was like, I hate books. I never read them. I don't want to read them. And he came back and he said he loved it. He loved everything about it. And then every year from then on, when a teacher gave him an independent reading assignment, he read Rash again. He just kept reading the same book. I was like, Chad, you've got to, <laughs> got to branch out. No, this one's really great. So that's actually become one of my go-to books because it appealed to him so much because there was enough action and there was enough stuff going on that he was interested in it. So now when I get a similar kid who's like, I don't like books. I want something that's entertaining. I'm like, let's start with Rash. But then also all the questions Donna talked about. Um, Something uh, related to that, we know that students do not find good books by coming into the library and reading the spine labels and getting a neck ache. That is the worst way. Um, We spend a lot of time with our students. We have this app, Destiny Discover, which is all of our books on your iPad. So do a little research. Here's how you can find books you like. But um, we also found out that, especially reluctant readers, they don't know that they should be reading Jason Reynolds. If they like historical fiction, they don't know that they should be reading Ruta Sepetys. If they love dystopian, maybe they don't know about Neil Shusterman. So using our expertise with, with their interests, I think, is just the best of all possible worlds. And so we really work hard, um, both of us, in just finding books that speak to students' interests, because they're not going to read it if, if they're not interested and if they don't have some buy-in to the to the book itself so and if they're not readers they don't necessarily know that books come in all the same varieties as movies and video (laughs) games and the things that they do know about and so when I say I asked a kid today if, if every single movie in the world were playing what genre what movie would you pick oh I guess action okay let's get you an action book Oh, okay. I mean, they're just sort of stunned that there are books that come in all these varieties as well. And I think just because they don't have that background. You know, I've always considered or thought of the library as kind of the hub of the school, right? Like the, it's the family it's, room, right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's the center center of the school, and and kids may or may not be drawn to it. But in some regards, as the librarians, your responsibility is to make that attractive to make it a place where kids want to come and you both do lots of amazing things in your in your respective spaces to create an engaging and and an environment that that kids are drawn to talk a little bit about some of those events that you do year to year or during the seasons uh, that students would be drawn and, and compelled to come into the library. Yeah, they, students may not love to read, but we still have ways of drawing them in. So, for example, Pi Day, uh, we had the calculus class host Pi Day, and so we had a bunch of mathematicians in during lunch, and it happened to also be National Potato Chip Day. So they uh, participated in our Pi Olympics and then received a free bag of potato chip potato chips. Um, We did a um, celebration for the Day of the Dead, Lunar New Year. We have guest speakers in here right now. We're hosting a World War II museum with two of our social studies teachers. So all of the freshmen have a special ticket that they'll be given and they're going to come in and peruse our exhibits. And so part of our job is just finding ways to invite people into our space who may not find it otherwise. And we just want every single person, staff member, students to be comfortable in our space. My assistant Catherine and I are always amazed when seniors come in to do checkout. There are all these kids we've never seen, not a ton, but kids we've never seen before, and we're like, where have you been? And some of them come in and go, wow, this is really nice. You were always welcome. Um, We do a lot of the same kind of things Donna does. At the beginning of the year, we start with a six-word summer memoir contest. We have lots of contests. Mm-hmm. That brings them in. That brings them in. Yeah, so they write little six-word summer memoirs, and then we vote on them, and the staff 
participates too. And then at winter, we do interactive elf, um, where we show the movie elf. And we have, it's sort of like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We have a list of things to do. So the, the most favorite one, and we draw in several specific teachers for this, is the snow fight, the snowball fight. And they're throwing balls of paper at each other, and they love it. Um, we do a coloring contest. We do the book flood every year, which is where we, we always have to weed to keep the collection up to date. So we keep all those books until the book flood, like the week before Christmas break starts. And the kids can come in and just shop. They're all free. They can take whatever they want. We put out wrapping paper, and they can wrap them, give them to friends, whatever. So that's really popular. Every year between semesters, we do a coloring contest. And in April, we're doing the a poetry contest. This year, it's blackout poetry. Last we're year doing was the same thing. Yeah, it's so fun. And then I, we just the kids love the contest, and so do the staff. So we did a Women's History Month trivia contest. We're going to do, for Teacher Appreciation Week, I'm collecting interesting facts about the teachers and the students are going to have to match the teacher with the interesting fact. Just all kinds of stuff like that. And Catherine, who is spectacular, I can't say enough good things about her. She is so creative. Like, she and her husband made a prize wheel, a spinning prize wheel out of an old bike tire, and it's all decorated. So when a kid wins a contest, they get to spin the wheel. And then we have color-coordinated boxes of prizes they can choose from. So that's super, and they love that. They're like, wait, what did I win? Well, that's up to you. And they spin the wheel. It's an impressive wheel. It's an impressive wheel. It's beautiful. So that's, yeah, we try to have stuff going most of the time. So they're like, well, when's the next contest? What's happening now? Well, Blackout Poetry, let's do it. Okay, so books and by extension libraries can open our minds to other people's experiences and viewpoints. How do you think about your role in terms of sharing stories and building empathy within our students from other cultures and points of view. When you think about our kids and you think about the fact that some of our students have very very sheltered lives and don't know much outside of this region or even maybe in some cases their family experiences. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot as a, as a school district about the importance of understanding and connecting with, with each other and that often means different cultures. How do you help shape that uh, through the work that you do in our libraries, Donna? You really yeah, I, I think that in our English classes, we talk a lot about lately um, books that are windows, books that are mirrors, and books that are sliding doors. And I really want to make sure that every student at Mountain View has a book that represents them in our collection. And so if a book is going to be a mirror, they're going to see themselves reflected in that book. If it's a window, they're going to get a peek into someone else's life. If it's a sliding door, they're maybe going to take Take what they know but be presented with something different and then maybe consider and reflect on their thinking in a way to become more empathetic with other people and so I really like that idea of, of I just want every student to feel like they have a voice here that we have books that speak to them that we have books about them and um, I think we do a good job of that yeah ditto Donna um, that's yeah a wide variety of books at all levels from as many experiences as possible, of course from different racial and ethnic experiences, but also different socioeconomic experiences. And then even, you know, the fantasy and the sci-fi very often maybe the sliding door, but in some ways they also can provide a window or a mirror because the characters are all more or less human, even if they're from a different planet. Okay, so now this, this leads me into a part of, of the, the podcast that I'd like to, to hear your thoughts on because there's pressure in our, in our nation right now uh, specific to this, right? You talk about windows or doors or mirrors. 
And uh, there are some folks that are pushing back on this, and we're seeing that all over our nation, the fact that there are, are libraries that are in other states. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure I've heard of any in Oregon yet, but libraries in which librarians are being asked to pull books off of the shelves because of the messages in those books. What are your thoughts on that? That's, uh, that's a little disconcerting to me um, as, an, as a lifetime educator, and I'd just like to know what you, what you think. My my knee-jerk response is always just horror, but when I step back from that, I try to keep in my mind that, for the most part, the people who bring challenges are truly trying to protect other people, but ultimately it's not their role to do that. So that's why I think libraries are so important, and leaving having libraries with a wide variety of materials is important. Yes, one person might be offended by it, but... There are other books that they might find great, and somebody else actually might find the book that was offensive to be really useful to them and really encourage them in a way that something else may not have. So I think that fortunately, I've been in the library 15 years now maybe, fortunately that's not ever happened to me. I haven't had a challenge. I had one kid come in one time with a book and said, Do you, have you read this? And I said, yeah. Well, you know there's all kinds of things in here that are really inappropriate. And I said, well you don't have to read that book. You can just turn that in and we can find you one that you're more comfortable with. And, you know, that is that is the approach I prefer to take. Just that, okay, well, you're not comfortable with it and that's fine. We have lots and lots of other things here for you. And I hope that I'll be able to take that approach if something more serious happens. And we're not buying books just to buy a book. We are buying books based on what does School Library Journal say about it? Do I think people will read this book? Is it going to be a valuable part of our collection? So there's that training that we have that that help us um, as we develop our collection. So I don't want people to think that we just buy books because of this or that. Um, if a student asks for um, a book, I make sure it follows the parameters that I've set up for my collection, but I also make sure that other people are going to read it. I, I, I don't want to buy a book and waste valuable money on, on just a book that I don't think is going to get used by others. So Yeah, and it's at the high school level, I do feel for the middle school people all the time because they have such a, a, hard, it's such a hard age range to span. But at the high school level, we're dealing with 14 through 18 and sometimes 19-year-olds. And so they do have very a wide variety of needs, and they're ready for a wide variety of things. And I do tell students, because I do have books in the library that your average 14-year-old maybe is not ready for, but your average 18-year-old is. And I tell students when they come up to me with a book like that in their hands, this book has some things that might be offensive to you or might be too much for you. Is it okay with your parents that you're going to read this book? Because I don't like to get phone calls from angry parents. So I want you to understand that this book maybe deals with sexual situations or has some language in it. Are your parents going to be okay with that? And every now and then the kid will look at me sheepishly. I'm like, well, maybe we should find something different. <laughs> One time a kid said, oh, my mom has this book and she's she's taking too long to read it. So I want it from here. And I was like, Alrighty then. <laughs> so it just, you know, I, I give that warning when I think it's necessary. You mentioned that like, interacting with students in that fashion, I, I imagine that is so much of your day. I would love to hear how a particular interaction or experience with a student or a teacher um, has been a really rewarding and pleasant memory for you. Ayla, let's start with you. Well, I talked about Chad already. It's delightful. <laughs> Another, well, Recently, I had some girls come in, and they're in an English class, and the teacher, who is spectacular, but mostly was teaching dead white men, 
And they came in because they had gone to him and asked if they could read something different, if they could read something by someone of color, or they really wanted to read something by a woman. And he was receptive to that. But then they came to me and asked for recommendations that that they thought, they're like, he has to be okay with them. We want stuff that he's going to be okay with. So it was really nice to be able to give them a list and just go through the library and go, ooh, how about this one? Ooh, how about this one? And we gave them this nice pile of books and they talked to him and they came to a conclusion. And it was really nice to be able to contribute, not just to their getting a book they wanted to read, but as something as part of the curriculum that is just, I always love it when they read something just for fun, but it was like, okay, they felt like this thing was missing from their curriculum. They took it in their own hands to change it. And then I was able to help find something that was going to make everybody in the situation happy. And that was really great. Just this week, I had a student who shall go unnamed uh, come into the library, plop down a book rather loudly on the counter. He said, I'm turning this in. And he said, by the way, you're not a bad librarian. And I thought, oh, oh, okay, uh, tell me more. And he said, you recommended this book and I didn't hate it. And I said, oh, well, I'm particularly happy with that. I'm really glad you liked it. And then he leaned in and said, I even read it at home. And that just made my week. Well, I'll just make your week again. My daughter went to Mountain View and she's not a reader because she's trying to hurt me. Um, So Donna worked with her on several occasions to get a book in her hand, and she ended up with the... Dragon Hoops? No. I gave her Dragon Hoops. But the... What's his name from UCLA? The coach from UCLA? John Wooden. She ended up with a couple of John Wooden books. See, she, she was nonfiction. Them. We just didn't yes. know it. Yes. And so she comes home with these John Wooden books, and she's like, Mom, can you actually buy me a copy of these? Because I want to keep them. Oh. So that was a good thing. That's awesome. So I just have to tell you, I've been to so many of our libraries uh, since I've been here, and they're amazing. Each library has its own feel. It has its own style. Uh, Like in Mountain View here where we're recording this, the library feels cozy and warm. At Summit, it feels eclectic eclectic and alive, right? Is that your personal choice? How How do you create that? How do you make that environment be that style for each of you? Yeah, I just want to create a welcoming space, not only for students, but for staff. And I always want them to be a little surprised when they come in. So we have a a display when they first come in with book titles that are just five letters because Wordle has been quite popular. We have a poetry contest going on. As I said before, we have the World War II Museum. So I love it when they come in and notice things that are different. And um, I think that's my goal and my joy is just working with Nancy, my media tech and companion in the library, thinking of things that what can we do to bring people in and, and make this a fun space for everyone. Very much similar to what Donna said. And in fact, I'm so grateful every day for Catherine who works with me because mm-hmm. I can't imagine doing this job by myself. I have I feel so much for the media managers and media techs in like the elementary and some of the middle schools who are by themselves and they don't have somebody to work. Who do by. you laugh with, right? If you're right. by yourself all day. So when I took over my library, it was bleak. It was there were no decorations. It was just steady carols and so I started just working away at that. And then once Catherine came in, we got even more creative. Like I painted, I did the, um, I have quotes above all the shelves and my students aides and I did that. And then Catherine came in and since then we've got globes all over the place and strange artwork. And we encourage the art teachers to have their students put stuff in there. And that brings kids in 
frequently kids are like dragging in their friends. Come see this thing I made. Changing things frequently is huge. We have Svetlana, our mannequin, and she changes outfits constantly. Wait, what? We have a mannequin. (laughs) Her name is Svetlana. She came with that name. When Fleet Feet was going out of business, Catherine knew someone who had been working there and was able to score this mannequin free. So Catherine spent the summer decoupaging book pages onto her. And so Svetlana is sort of the library mascot, and we put different outfits on her, and people who come in on the weekend, teachers who come in on the weekend, it's kind of dark in there. Many have been startled by Svetlana just standing there. So, yeah, we, so she's fun, and we had a student in life skills one time who, was just, who just loved Svetlana, and we have pictures of him like standing between her arms like she's hugging him, and it was just the sweetest Aww. thing. He just loved her. Um, so we just try to keep changing things constantly. Catherine loves changing furniture around. And that throws the kids off all the time, but they but they adjust. But it's like, what'd you do? So yeah, just move the couch from here to here. Keeping it fresh. Yep, exactly. Yeah, lots of change, lots of things the kids did to draw them in. And that works really well, too, to keep it lively. Okay, so most of our listeners are adults. And I'm guessing that some of our adults have stereotypes and misconceptions about the school library. What would you like to tell our listeners are some likely misconceptions they have about our libraries in our schools? I think maybe they think they're quiet places where the books are just getting dusty. And my library and I I know Ayla's library are not super quiet places. When every student, if I know their name, I'm going to say, good morning, so-and-so, or I'm going to at least say good morning. I have conversations across the library. And, and two, we do more than just check out books. We're in classrooms, we're fixing things, we're answering questions, and we're planning lunch activities and doing our library programming. And I think if they think we just stay in the library all day, they would be, be quite mistaken. Yeah, people, adults, I specifically, my high school librarian, I have zero memory of her. She just was behind the desk, and if anyone had a similar experience, then that's kind of what they think. Um, But yeah, we're interacting with the kids. We do, at Summit, we have silent independent study time at lunchtime. And we have a very dedicated crew of kids who expect that. But that's about the only time during the day where it's absolutely silent in the library. There's kids coming in from classes to work on projects. One teacher recently had his kids, he was doing a Socratic seminar in his class with half the class at a time. And so the other half came down and were in the student lounge working on their part and then they swapped places. All kinds of stuff going on all the time. And yeah, we don't just check books out to kids. Teacher librarians are teachers first. And so we're, I see my role as making the teacher's lives easier and doing anything I can to facilitate them being successful in the classroom. Absolutely. And our library is not quiet. We also play spa music all day long. And so people will come in just to kind of take a little time out, take a little chocolate from the mental health jar that I have in my office. And um, it's just a very nice, busy place. Mm -hmm. So I'd be remiss if I didn't get some book recommendations from the both of you. Um, I would love to hear your choices for our listeners. What are the books that they should be reading right now? You want to go first? I do. I I have to be careful. I, I read a lot of young adult, but I have to keep the ratio right. So I have to be listening to an adult book or reading an adult book while having my two or three YA books because things just get skewed. So uh, my adult book recommendation would be The End of Men by Christina Swaley Baird. And I just can't stop reading these books. It's about a virus in 2025. And 
the men are affected. They just start dying off. And I think what, what drew me to this book is she wrote it before the pandemic. And I'm just amazed at what she got right about viruses and vaccinations and being alone, isolation and, and all of that. And so it was a super fun read if that's your cup of tea. And the other um, young adult book, I Must Betray You by Ruta Sepetys, and she is just my favorite historical fiction author. Um, we are going back to Romania in the 1980s and spending time with the boy living under that dictatorship. And it's just riveting. And I always, always, after reading her books, just spend the evening Googling. Like, I didn't know this, and she just brings it to life. So those are my two recommendations. But you know by asking librarians, I mean, we have hundreds of recommendations, oh so just stopping at two was really hard. Can yeah. you do it, Ayla? I, I've got six on here. Okay. <laughs> you just talked about I Must Betray You. I was good. That was on my oh. list. I read that, too, and it was spectacular, and Rudis Betty's is spectacular, and she always chooses a different, very different time periods and historical events. Um, But I am going to recommend for young adults and adults, too, because I thought it was amazing. The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klein. Yes. Have you read that? Yes. Oh, it's so good. It's about, it's, at first, I just got this real feel of, like, Harry Potter. Because the main (laughs) character is responsible for monitoring orphanages for magical children. But then he gets a special assignment on this high security level, I guess, island that hardly anyone knows about. He has to go and check out the six kids who are living there, the six magical kids who are living there, and the man who's overseeing them. And it's just so delightful. So delightful. I loved it so much. I was sad when it was over. In fact, I and I listened to it, and the narrator is spectacular. And when it was over and I started a new book, I was every time I'd get into my car, I'd expect the Cerulean Sea one to come on. I'm like, oh, right, I'm done with that one. It was just beautiful. I loved it so much. And then I also read, and this is more adult, although I did buy it for my library, The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois by Honoré Fannin Jeffers. And that is very epic. It had the feel of homegoing by, mm. in that it covers this really huge time span. It begins with pre-Columbian Georgia area, native tribes that were there, and then incoming with the white people and the slaves and it mostly covers one african-american family into present day and it was i loved it it was another one that just moved me i every time i listened to it it, i took my dog on very long walks with that book (laughs) because you know she's like mom's reading another good one (laughs) so those both were the most recent ones that really moved me and are sticking with me all right, folks, you heard it here. Get those books on your list. If you don't have anything to, to start reading or listening to on your Audible devices or uh, books on tape or whatever, however you do it, make sure you take advantage of that. So we're finishing the podcast now with the same question for everybody. And uh, we found this to be a pretty cool question. We've got mm-hmm. some amazing answers. And so um, we'd like to know from both of you, what's giving you hope right now? feels like we're hopefully on the other side of the pandemic and just being able to get back to lunch activities and jigsaws and having students be in our spaces during open block, hosting classes in the library, potentially having guest speakers come back in. It just brings me such joy to get back to that normal programming that we were able to do prior to 2020. I've noticed now more than before the pandemic, or maybe I just can't remember that far back, the students focus on doing good for the environment, for Mm. society. We have a social justice club, which is enormous. We have a multicultural club, which is huge. We have the environmental club. 
Um, one young woman just started a club to raise money to help in the Ukraine. So this outward looking, mm-hmm. trying to contribute to the world and make it a better place is just so beautiful to see. All right, folks, you heard it here. I think that's it for today. Uh, it's Remember, April is School Library Month, so make sure you thank your school librarian. Um, maybe even it's time for a hug. I want to thank my guests today, Ayla Overcash and Donna Lane from Mountain View and Summit High Schools, respectively. Um, uh, remember, this is a new podcast in Ben Lapine Schools. If you're pleased with the work we are doing on these podcasts, please remember to subscribe and share your review on your podcast provider. Also, share them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Additionally, if there are topics you'd like us to tackle, please send us a note at podcast at bend.k12.or.us. Also, please let us know your thoughts. We're always grateful for the feedback. Thanks for listening to Soups On Podcast. I'm Dr. Stephen Cook, and please remember to always support public education.